We mentioned last week at the very end, John 15, verse 7. Make sure you uh, have this marked in your Bible, John 15, verse 7. In Jesus summing up the teachings of the vine, himself being the true vine, and we are his branches, and the branches abide in the vine. Verse 7, John 15, verse 7 Jesus says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. And my words abide in you. Then you ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So notice how Jesus is combining his words being in us, and our prayers being accepted by him. Let me ask you this. Is... um, is prayer, is it a monologue or is it a dialogue? What does monologue mean? Yeah, one person. So is, is prayer meant to be a monologue or a dialogue? Okay. Bertha says dialogue. Right. And I believe that's right. Because while we are speaking to God in prayer, His words, He speaks to us through His, His scriptures. His words are to be in us. And it, and it should be constant. Okay. I believe this is where the idea, and we read about this in Psalm 1 and other places, uh, in His law do we meditate day and night. I think this is the idea of meditation. We are studying God's words, but we're also praying to the Lord Help us to understand it and to apply it to our hearts and lives. And so notice that the Word of God is basic to faith, but it's also basic to prayer as well. In Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, the apostles were dealing with making sure they were ministering to all the widows in the area. And they appointed uh, men, or at least had the congregation to appoint men, to serve these needs. And they said, uh, we need to continue in the ministry of the word and prayer. So oftentimes, the the word of God, and understanding it, is right there in the mix with, with prayer. It's an excellent habit to study and pray. To study and pray. To have your prayer study times. Prayer slash study study slash prayer and do both at the same time. And so we need that word uh, for prayer. And then think about another aspect of faith and that is uh, doing the word. Doing the word. We know the Bible teaches us that we don't really have faith until we are obeying the word or submitting to the word, doing the word. Like James 2 and verse 17 says that faith without works is what? Is dead. Faith without works is dead, being alone. Well, same thing in regard uh, to prayer. To prayer. Our prayers are not going to be uh, effective. Our prayers are not going to be acceptable. We're not going to um, have a meaningful prayer life unless we are doing the will of God in our lives. Notice in James 5 and verse 16, the effectual fervent prayer of a what? Of a righteous man. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. Notice that. Of a righteous man avails much. 
It's that righteousness that makes the difference. 1 John 2 and 29 says, uh, he, um, everyone who does righteousness, everyone who doeth righteousness is righteous before God. It's the doing of the will of God that causes one uh, to be righteous. Peter sums it up when he was learning from uh, his experience with Cornelius and the visions that he received there in Acts chapter 10. If you look at Acts 10, 34 and 35, Peter says, here's what I have learned. Here's what I've learned. I've learned that in every nation. See, Peter, he was slow to learn, but he was learning. In every nation, everyone who fears God and doeth righteousness is accepted by him. So the doing of God's will, uh, the commandments of God are righteous. So the doing of his commandments makes one righteous, and it's the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man uh, that avails much. So think about these aspects of prayer or aspects of faith. One would be the uh, having the word of God in our hearts creates faith. And then the doing of that word creates faith. And both of those are very uh, important in prayer. Let's think about another aspect of, of, of faith, and that is repenting. Uh, faith leads us to repent. At least that's what Romans 2 verse 4 says, the goodness of God. When we come to know the goodness of God, that leads us uh, to repent. Well, a faithful prayer life will involve repenting uh, of our sins. Let's look at an example here, Acts chapter 8. Let's run over to Acts chapter 8 for a second and notice uh, Simon the sorcerer's um, problem and how Peter uh, spoke to him about this. Where is this at? Acts chapter 8, around verse 20. Verse, let's say 18. Acts 8, 18. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought that you could obtain the gift of God with money. Now think about what Jesus said about perishing. Luke 13, verse 3, Except you repent, you shall all likewise, what? Perish. So we're not surprised here then that Peter's going to advise Simon in a way he does. So he says, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent. There it is. Acts 8.22. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray to the Lord, that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven uh, you. Now, that's what a Christian should do. Now, Simon has been baptized. If you look back up in those verses prior to this, he's been baptized, just like the other Samaritans. But now he's, um, he's messed up. And the instruction is, you need to repent and pray that the Lord uh, forgive you. And so a big part of faith is repenting, and a big part of prayer is repenting. And we need to think carefully about that uh, as we approach God in prayer. Is there anything amiss in my life as I go to prayer time here, as I go to my study 
in prayer time, is there anything amiss in my life? I want to repent of that. I want to tell the Lord about it. I want to tell Him I am through with that. I'm through with doing that, Lord. And uh, repent of that. Confess it to Him. Walk away knowing He has uh, forgiven you. And then a, a fourth aspect of, of faith is trusting the Lord. Trusting the Lord. That's big in, in faith. Uh, we have uh, many verses uh, that uh, come to mind. My favorite is Proverbs uh, 3, 5, and 6. Don't you love that one? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. How does that go? And lean not on what? Yes. Yeah. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not upon your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Beautiful passage there. So big part of faith is trusting, but a big part of prayer is trusting as well. And let's go over to one of our favorite passages, but also one of the passages we probably hate. Look at Philippians 4. Philippians 4 just comes right into our lives and stomps all over us. Philippians 4, 5, and 6. And think about prayer and trusting. I'm looking down to Philippians 4, 5, and 6. Let your moderation be known to all men. Moderation here just simply means gentleness or a reasonable spirit. This is very important when you think about praying. It's important being a Christian, but it's important when you come to God in prayer. As we talked last week, as we were discussing praying without ceasing, part of that is always having the mindset, always being ready to pray. It takes a certain mindset to pray. And this is part of what Paul is saying here. You've got to have your mindset right if you're going to pray. So you need to, to develop a gentleness about you. You've got to develop a, a reasonableness about you, a moderation about you. So you're going to approach God. You don't approach Him with anger. Okay. You approach Him with knowledge of Scripture and a sweet disposition as you approach Him. We said last week from James 1.21, uh, the, the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. It's impossible. We can't worship, can't pray, uh, be in anger. So, and then notice also he says, the Lord is at hand here in Philippians 4, verse uh, 5. The Lord is close by. Okay, we're in, as we said last week, we're encouraged to pray because the Lord is close by. Okay. Acts 17, 27, he's not far from every one of us. Okay. For in him we live and move and have our very being. Now Paul's leading up to praying here, verse 6. Verse 6, notice this now. And this has a lot to do with trusting in the Lord. So, do not be anxious about anything. I told you this was going to stop all over us. Do not be anxious about anything. Let me read that again and see if that's what that says. Do not be anxious about anything. That's what it says. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known uh, to God. The word anxious means to be drawn in different directions at the same time. To have a divided mind. Okay. You can feel that, can't you? Okay. 
You hear people say, well, I'm just stressed out. Well, that's what they're saying. They're saying, I'm being drawn in several different directions. I'm overwhelmed. Paul says, do not be this way. That's a, that's a big statement for Paul to make. Do not be this way. Do not let yourself get drawn in several different directions at the same time. But rather, tackle that, meet that with prayer. Be anxious in nothing but in everything through prayer. A good illustration of this is when Peter, or I should say Jesus, went to uh, Mary Martha's house. We read about that in Luke 10, 38 through 42. And you know that Jesus looked to Martha and said, Martha, Martha. Okay, if Jesus ever says your name twice, watch, you know, watch out. Uh, in Luke 22, 30 and 31, he said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan desires to have you. He says here, Martha, Martha, thou art anxious and troubled about many things. That's, that's what he's saying to Martha. Martha, you are being pulled in a lot of different directions today. Your sister Mary is doing the right thing. Okay, she is, she is sitting down, she's listening. She understood Jesus would only be there a short time. She understood that this was the master of the universe in her house. Okay? These other things can wait. I must listen to the Lord. And so Paul's saying here, in regard to trusting in prayer, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer, supplication, Thanksgiving and request. Okay. So notice, this is how we keep from being anxious, and this is how we trust in the Lord in prayer. We pray to Him, that is, we have our conversations with Him. We get used to just talking to the Lord about everything. 1 Peter 5 7 says, Cast all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. So you pray to Him as conversation. You are in supplication. Supplication means God supplies your needs. So you're talking to God about your needs, not your wants. You're not being selfish, but you're talking to God about your needs. Jesus said, uh, as he teaches us to pray in Matthew 6, give us this day our daily bread. Talk to the Lord about your needs, and then go from there. So we talk to him in conversation. We talk to him about our needs. We thank Him for everything. So in our prayers, we're conversing with Him, we're talking to Him about our needs, and we're, we're thanking Him for everything. And that list never runs out. And then we make, we, we make requests for things that we feel that we need to make requests about. We, we have special requests for Him, and we bring those to Him. Let your requests be made known to God. So four different types of prayers there. You're conversing to God about everything. You're talking to him about your needs. You're thanking him for everything. And then you have these special requests made to God without being selfish. Okay. All right. So notice that faith has in it, as part of it, as it's trusting God. big element of faith is trusting God. But so in prayer we need to learn to trust God. Leave it there at the throne of God and walk away without your cares. That's the idea. It's not much easier to say that than to do it. 
certainly we understand that. But that's the challenge before us. We don't make up these scriptures. We read them and we see them. We sit down with them and we try to obey them. The other aspect of faith is that Paul said in uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, we walk by faith, not by what? Not by sight. See, that comes up in prayer as well because we don't see God, nor do we hear God. We don't see Him or hear from Him directly, audibly, when we're praying. But it's still real. It's just as real as if you're talking to the person next to you. When we talk to God, it's just that real. It's just that our faith is able to get out of the physical realm and be able to know that God uh, is listening okay, based on the fact that his word tells us that. Okay. Another big part of faith is not to doubt. Not to doubt. Uh, for a good reference on that, you remember when, when Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and Jesus rebukes him. Kind of interesting. You kind of, in a sense, you want to halfway start taking up for Peter because Peter did get out of the boat and he did start walking on that water but he looked at the storm Matthew 14 verse 30 when Peter saw the wind he was afraid and beginning to sink he cried out Lord save me and then verse 31, Matthew 14, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Well, if, if Jesus is going to rebuke Peter, I wonder what he thinks about me. I've never gotten out of a boat to, to follow Jesus figuratively, or anything. Spiritually, figuratively. Peter got out of that boat to follow Jesus. What have we gotten out of to follow Jesus? I think Peter makes, makes me, at least, look pretty pathetic. But Jesus said, a big part of faith is not to doubt. Not to doubt. And that's a big part of prayer as well. As you turn over to James 1, you see this. James 1 uh, beginning in verse 5, all of you know this, but it's good to review it. James 1, beginning in verse 5, If any man lack wisdom, he says, uh, let him ask of God. Well, that means everybody should be praying. Here's another encouragement to pray. All of us lack wisdom. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all men without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing doubting. Verse 6, James 1 verse 6. Let him ask in faith, nothing doubting. Again, notice these scriptures. We read them, and we have to let them come home to us. There in Philippians 4 verse 6, in nothing be anxious. Now he's saying, when you pray, have no doubt, nothing doubting. James 1 verse 6. 
But let him ask in faith, nothing doubting, for one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven with the wind and tossed uh, by it. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Notice verse 7 there. Let not, let not that man think that he's going to receive anything from the Lord. Is there a way that our prayers will be cut off? Yes, here it is. If we don't have faith, our prayers will get no further than the ceiling. Our prayers are going nowhere. Let him ask in faith, nothing doubting. He that doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven with the wind tossed here and there. Let not that man think that he should receive anything in the Lord. And then what does verse 8 say? A double-minded man. See, he's connecting that. That verse 8 doesn't stand alone. It's connecting here to the doubting in prayer. If we doubt in prayer, we are like a double-minded man. We say we have faith, but it's not showing up in our prayer. It's not showing up in our life because we're doubting. We have become a double-minded man who is staggering about. He's unstable. He, this is, yes, unstable is the word for a drunk in those days. A drunk cannot walk a straight line, and neither can a man who is doubting in his prayer. Does that make sense, Larry? You were yawning. You were, what time did you get up this morning? The usual. Maybe one other aspect of prayer is, is not to have fear because you can't have faith in fear. Faith is to drive out fear, as you know. Um, and that's the same thing with, with prayer. Are there some prayers that you are afraid to pray? Are there some prayers that are scary to pray? Is it kind of scary to pray like the Lord prayed in the garden? When he prayed, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. If we go to God in prayer and really mean that, is that kind of spooky? It takes, it takes courage uh, to pray. What about that prayer song that we sing? And some songs are prayers. Lord, lead me to some soul today. You willing to pray that prayer? You willing to get up in the morning and, and pray that prayer to God? Well, we ought to be able to pray that prayer to God, but do we have the courage to pray that prayer? Lord, lead me to some soul today. So some, some prayers, um, we just observe the Passover on some prayers. We just don't pray them. Because we don't want to deal with that. We don't want to deal with, with the content of that prayer. We think that just kind of makes it okay, and it just kind of goes away, and we don't hear anything from the Lord anyway. But that's why we're studying prayer and faith. Okay. Now, concerning prayer and faith, if you go back to James uh, chapter 5, verse 16, talking about the effectual prayer of a righteous man, what example does James bring up to help us here? Elijah. And what does Elijah pray about? Rain. Elijah prays about rain. What does he pray about rain? First that it would go away and then it would come back. The 
Okay, he, prayed, he prays first that it would not rain. Yeah. Now, notice here in James 5 that um, it says, Elijah was a man of like passions like as we are. What does that mean? Like. That, that Elijah was human? Okay. And what do you think the writer is trying to get us to understand? Yeah, it's yet another encouragement to pray. Okay. When God says, I'm close by, that's an encouragement to pray. When God says, I'll hear your prayers, and here's another one. Here's a great man of God who prayed very effectively, was very close to God, but he was just like us. There was, there was no angelic tone about him. He had flesh and blood. He had a mind. He ate food just like we did. He put on clothes and he slept. He did all that, and if he can do it, then we can... Uh, two. He prayed fervently in James 5. Said. The, the same old, same old prayers is not going to get it done. We, we've got to uh, challenge ourselves. We've got to try to really get through to God. And that's the idea of a fervent prayer. We've got to try to get through to God, get Him to understand what's on our hearts and minds. And then at the same time, try to understand what God would have us to do. Pray fervently. Fervently. But he prays that it would not rain. Why does Elijah pray that it would not rain? Well, this is put a stop to Baal, the god of uh, all kinds of things and weather, to King Ahab to prove to him that his god is no good. Okay. Well, this goes back to the days of King Ahab in Israel. And they had... Uh, they had left God, the living God, and turned themselves unto the Baals, B-A-A-L-S, the different gods associated with Baal worship. And as Mike was saying, many of these gods were believed to be in control of the weather, control of, of a lot of different aspects of life, but control of the atmosphere and weather. And so Elijah got to thinking, you know, if I just went to God in prayer and asked him that it would not rain for, for quite a time, maybe this would help teach the people a lesson. Take your Bibles and go back to 1 Kings with me, uh, chapters uh, 17 and 18 for just a minute, if you don't mind. 1 Kings chapter uh, 17. Seventeen and eighteen. And notice uh, chapter eighteen uh, when Elijah confronts Ahab. Verse eighteen, eighteen, eighteen. He says to Ahab, "I have not troubled Israel, but you have, Ahab, and your father's house, because notice this." You have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and you have followed the bells. See that? This is why he's asking for rain to stop. Because the people have turned, Ahab, Jezebel, and the nation has turned to serve. They've abandoned the commandments of the living God and turned unto these futile bells, these, these, these uh, gods that they had set up. They had succumbed to the temptations of the nations around them. Okay. 
So God cooperates with Elijah's desire. Now, notice, Elijah is not a man who gives up. He is surrounded with idolatry. He feels like he's the only one left who is righteous. But a man of God does not give up. He goes to God in prayer. He goes, he knows the truth. He goes with his faith. And he understands this is no time for fear. He says, let's try this. And God cooperates with him. And so there's not going to be a rain for quite some time. So, God is going to hide Elijah. Why is he going to hide Elijah? If you look in uh, chapter 18, if you're still there in 1 Kings, and you look back up to around uh, verse 10, This uh, prophet Obadiah is talking to Elijah, and uh, Elijah's telling Obadiah to go get uh, Ahab and bring him to me, tell him I want to see him. He said, I don't know about that. Verse 9, how have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there's no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not been sent to seek you. In other words, they've been looking for Elijah. They've been looking for him. So this is why God's going to hide him. Now where's the first place that God hides Elijah? Not the cave. What? Not the first place. Yeah, by the brook Kirith. Remember that? Back chapter 17, verses 2 through 7. By the brook Kirith. And God says, I'm going to let you drink out of that brook, and then I'm going to feed you. How does he feed him? With the raven. What do the ravens bring him in the morning? Bread and meat. What does he get at night? Bread and meat. He gets bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat at night. A good deal. And so Elijah listens to that and he says, Sounds good to me. So he goes to the brook Kirith and he stays there until the brook dries up and he has to go to another place. And then the second place God hides him is, what did you say, Julie? Yeah, the widow. He sends him to the city of Zarephath and to a widow. And he gets into the gate of that city. And there's this widow. And she is gathering sticks. Why is she gathering sticks? To make the last of her bread to go to her gate. Yeah, the, the famine now is well in place. People are starving. And she has a son. And she is, in her mind, she is preparing her last meal. And, uh, and then they just prepare it. They're just going to die. And so Elijah comes to her and says, uh, can you bring me a drink? And she said, sure. And as she was going, he said, also bring me a, bring me a, a, a thing of bread. Bring me a morsel of bread. And then she explains to him, I'm, I'm getting, I've got one morsel of bread left. I'm preparing this fire. My son and I are going to eat this, and then we're going to die. She was at the point of starvation. Elijah says to her, you go first and prepare me a cake, a little cake, and then prepare one for yourself and your son. And here's the promise from God if you'll do this. Your meal for your bread and the oil you use will never run out. It will not run out while this famine lasts. 
And guess what? She believed God. And she went and did this. Now, she's at the point of starvation. What would you have done? Now, the word first is there. Whatever verse this is uh, in chapter 18. The word first is there. Elijah says, you go first. I, now, she's planning. Here's her plan. Her plan is, I'm going to try to at least give my son one more meal before we die. Elijah says, no, you first go get, make me a morsel of bread. And then you'll have enough for yourself and for your son. And then you'll continue to have enough sufficient supplies until the end of this famine. And she believed. She believed. And then he was able to hide out at her house until God was ready for him to go show himself to Ahab. And then when you get to chapter 18, of course, he confronts Ahab. And you get back to chapter 18... Verse 17, 18, and 19, when Elijah says, You've been following the bells, you left the commandments of the Lord. Now therefore, verse 19, chapter 18, Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. Isn't it interesting that even though there's starvation, the, the king and queen are still eating. I'll never forget that. The people in charge will always have enough. Especially if they're wicked. There's 400 prophets eating with them. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. The, the, end, the end people, the people in the club, get to eat. But people like this lady are starving to death. Okay. So there Jezebel is eating. He said, okay... Uh, let's meet on, on this place and uh, going to have this contest. So um, all Israel comes. You notice verse, 18, uh, verse 21 of chapter 18. Elijah looks to his own people and says, How long will you keep limping between the two sides? If, if the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But stop limping between the two opinions. Now, I can't believe... You know, we're in, we're in here now, the third year of the famine, probably. And people are in dire need. Even, even Ahab is out searching for little rivers that have some grass next to it so they can feed their animals. Things are really bad. But the famine had not been enough for them to turn away from the false gods. It was going to take both famine and fire. And finally, when they had this contest, and, you know, the prophets of Baal, they were to build an altar, cut up their bull, put all the pieces of that on the altar, and don't put any fire to it, and call to Baal to send the fire. And they did from early in the morning to noon. And they never heard a voice, never heard a, a recognition sound from, from their false god, Baal. Of course, they did not. Even though they cut themselves, even though they yelled out, uh, Come bell, come bell, nothing happened whatsoever. They could not get his attention. Elijah teased them and said, perhaps he's on a journey, perhaps he's asleep. Yell louder, cut yourself more, and nothing happened. And then finally it was time for Elijah's altar that was built upon the 12 stones and the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. He built, he put, cut up his pieces of the bull and put it on his altar. And he said, put four jars of water on there. And they did. He said, do that again. He did. 
do it a third time, it did. The water is just dripping off into a trench around it. He called upon God, and God sent fire, lapped up the water, destroyed, consumed the, the wood and the stone. And finally, the people said, okay, the Lord is God. It took both famine and fire. And then you see there at the end of chapter 18, Elijah goes back to the top of the mountain, Carmel. Ahab's up there as well. And he says, now Ahab, I hear a rushing of rain coming. Elijah sits down, he puts his face in between his knees, and he prays for rain to come. It's been three and a half years now, no rain. Puts his face between his knees, and he sends his servant to go look on the horizon. The servant came back and said, I don't see anything. He said, go again. He went how many times? Seven. And on the seventh time, the servant saw a little black cloud about the size of a man's hand. Rising up, Elijah said, um, Ahab, you might ought to get down from this mountain because it's about to have a lot of rain. And it did. Isn't that pretty gracious of, of Elijah to look after the well-being of Ahab, this wicked king? And so um, he prayed again, and the rain came. And this is the example that God gives us to encourage us to pray in faith, in faith. Wouldn't it be great to have a childlike faith? Isn't it wonderful to hear a child pray? Amen. And just hear that child pray and just believe it. Just believe it. You know? Innocence, and that's what God is looking for us, looking in us for, is that, that innocent faith, the no no pretentious, no pretending, no, no covering up, just a, just a very sincere faith. It says here in James 5 that the prayer of a righteous man avails much. It doesn't say that the prayer of the petitioner is going to get everything that he asked for. It just says it's going to have power behind it. That's enough for us. It's enough. It's enough for us to know that something's going to happen when we pray. It may not be what we have in mind, but we know that God will take that prayer and do something good with it. And so he gives us these examples to encourage us uh, to pray. Pray with faith. That was the ideal uh, tonight. I know we've been kind of jumping around different aspects of prayer, but it's important to, as we pray, we must believe. We must believe. And things will change. But we must believe. And we must have all of the aspects of belief in place in order to have our prayers be acceptable to God. We'll talk a little bit more about this uh, as we extend the invitation here in just a moment. Uh, appreciate you being in class. And I hope that, if nothing else, uh, examining these scriptures about prayer can encourage us uh, to study more about it, but also really to pray, really to pray.